So this morning we're going to be continuing our study in 1 John and we're going to be looking at living as children of God and what it means to live as children of God. But I want to ask you something to begin with. Have you noticed that in life we get taught so much stuff that we never actually use? We get taught so many things that we never actually use. Think back to your school days, if you can. Think back to maths lessons, you know, sine and cosine rule, polygons and protractors. Who has used a protractor in the adult life? Has anyone used a protractor in adult life? I remember biology lessons. I used to find it dead interesting learning about photosynthesis and how plants make glucose from sunlight, carbon dioxide and water. But I've never used it. Have you? We get taught all sorts of stuff that we'll never actually need to know or use. But however, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we don't get taught that is vital for us to know. Kind of like not washing a white shirt with black socks. Kind of like how to make a spaghetti bolognese. These are key things that we need to learn. But no one teaches you that at school or at university. You've just got to figure it out. And one of the hardest jobs in the entire world has no interview process, has no training plan. You just have nine months of pre-work probation and then you're a parent for life. No training. We get taught so many non-essential things, but often we have to figure out some of life's greatest lessons and challenges for ourselves. But what about the Christian walk? Do we simply just sort of pray a prayer and then expect to figure the rest out for ourselves? What's it actually mean to live as a child of God? What's it look like to live as a child of God? As I said, we're currently looking at the letter um, 1 John. John wrote this letter to correct lots of false teaching that was going on at the time. And he was to help the believers to live as children of God. So we're going to unpack that a bit today. But these false teachers were claiming that if you knew God, it didn't matter how you lived. Your actions bear, bore no relation to your relationship with God. But John here gives some very straight teaching what it means to live as a child of God. This part of John's letter emphasizes the fundamental connection between knowing God and doing righteousness. There's a fundamental connection between knowing God and doing righteousness. Why don't you turn with me to 1 John 3? In this passage, John teaches that living as a child of God requires focus. Living as a child of God requires commitment. Living as a child of God requires action. And living as a child of God brings transformation. Let's read it together now. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends... Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. 
The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who are the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Everyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege it is to study and read your word today. I pray you'll speak to every single person here, that you'll speak through and beyond me, Lord. I pray that we'll go away knowing you better, knowing how to live as a child of God, and knowing who you say that we are, and living in response to that. Amen. So as I said, John teaches that living as a child of God requires focus, commitment, action, and brings transformation. So let's look at focus now. Living as a child of God requires focus on what God says about you, but also on where you are going. Look at verse 1 again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. In the West, we have this strange tradition when we introduce ourselves to someone new. We say our name, and then we say what we do. So I'll be, hi, I'm George, and I'm a pastor, or hi, I'm Tony, and I'm a cleaner. And what we're saying there is, this is my name, this is what I do, and that is who I am. We tie in what we do to who you are. And John actually agrees with this. He starts this passage by reminding us that if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we are first and foremost children of God. Just as Susanna said in the song, we are first and foremost children of God. Now, I'm not going to tell you to start introducing yourself as at the school gate. You know, hi, I'm Clive and I'm a child of God. How about you? That's not what I'm getting at. You see, when Tony says that he's a cleaner, he's just a cleaner who cleans. But when he focuses on what God says about him, he's a child of God who cleans for God's glory. Say if you're a lawyer, you can go to work and do lawyer stuff, or you can go to work as a child of God and fight legal battles for God's glory. What you are determines what you do. What you are determines how you live. And I want to ask you, do you know what you are? Do you believe what you are? John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Someone here today needs to believe the great love that God has lavished on them. And needs to believe that he has called you a child of God. We need to believe that. It all stems from that. That is the fundamental, the core of our identity. And I'm sure there's someone, uh, some other people here today who actually need to decide to become children of God and accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Living as a child of God requires focus on what God says about you, but also on where you're going. Look, in verse 2 he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. John here describes the reality of life to us. 
as a follower of Jesus, we are now children of God. And this means that we're saved from death by Jesus' death on the cross. It means that our sins and our wrongdoing have been truly erased and we're now whiter than snow. It means that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. But yet, we're still here, experiencing life in its hardship and suffering. 25,000 people still die every day from hunger. We get stabbed in the back and lied to our face. We face redundancies, sickness, death, and disease. What is going on? It's all very well for John to say, we're children of God. But what on earth does that mean when we get the terminal news from a doctor? What does that mean when we get laid off and we can't afford to eat? Is the Bible wrong? Is God no longer good? John answers these questions by three points in verse 2. The first thing he says is that, dear friends, we are children of God. He establishes that again. And this underlines, underscores our entire life. We are children of God. And it is our identity. He secondly says, what we will be has not yet been made known. Church, this present reality in which we live is not a representation of what God has gifted to us. We are to hold with faith onto what is to come when we meet him in glory. Heaven is our home. And the final point, he says, when we know that Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Jesus comes again, or we meet him in heaven, we shall be like him. We'll be healed, purified. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no sadness. Death and pain will be no more. Living as a child of God requires focus, not just on what God says about you, but on where you're going. Heaven. Eternity. We are God's children. Yes, John. As long as we're on this earth, though, we'll face many evils and we'll face many trials in and around us. And if our thoughts are on the present and hoping that God will align everything this side of heaven, then we're going to lose heart. Because if you're a child of God, heaven is your home. Now I believe and I have seen and I can testify to God doing miracles. I've seen people heal from life, life-changing disease. I've seen things and I believe that and God is a God who does miracles. But ultimately, this isn't our home. We are going to die and we're going to meet him in heaven if you know him in perfection and purity. Living as a child of God requires focus on what he says about you and where we're going. But also, living as a child of God requires commitment. We hear, read, and say that God loves us so much that actually I think we've become a bit hard to it as a Western church. It's almost like it's become so familiar that we've become apathetic to the massive consequences of the statement. God loves you. God is so committed to you that he came in person to take away your sins. He came so that you could be whole again. He came to restore a relationship that we screwed up. John writes that Jesus came so that he might take away our sins. He is so committed to us. He is so committed to you. But are we committed to him? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we, in him, we might have the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, God himself, endured the trials of earth, endured suffering on the cross so that he might take away our sins. 
He is desperately committed to us. Are we committed to him? John says in verse 6 that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. The word John uses here for lives means remain. We are to remain in Christ daily, hourly. Moment by moment, we're to live in recognition of Jesus. And everything that we do, think or say should come from that, this commitment. It should be flowing from that, that fundamental identity. In this sentence, the word for lives and the word sinning are both in the present tense, meaning that they are ongoing acts. You see, remaining in Christ, moment by moment, is an ongoing act. But also keeping on sinning is an ongoing act. What are you committed to? As I said on earlier, whilst we're here on this earth, we're going to face trials and temptations. And being a child of God doesn't actually excuse us from this. But what you are determines what you do. When temptations come, where does your commitment lie? You see, anyone can wear a mask on Sunday and say they're committed because that's kind of easy. But when temptations come, that is when you see who you, where your commitment is. Let's look a minute at how we can be committed to Jesus. If you don't love something, you won't do it. And if you don't hate something, you won't leave it alone. If you don't love something, you won't do it. But if you don't hate something, you won't leave it alone. I read a great article this week by David Bowden which said just that. He emphasized the fact that if you're just depriving yourself, if you're just ignoring your desires, if you're just beating your will into submission, then it's not actually going to work long term. It is all about our commitment, and our commitment is all about our love. In other words, you're going to do what you love, and you won't do what you hate. You'll do what you love, and you won't do what you hate. So here it is. Do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? I'm going to answer on behalf of you and on behalf of me. Of course we don't. Of course we don't, because that is why we still do it. We are to love Jesus and we are to hate sin. That's what the Bible makes clear. But how is that possible? How is that possible? It's easy for us to agree, but when temptation comes, the fight is real. And I'm not denying the size of that fight. How can we be committed to Jesus? And how can we hate sin? Let me explain in three points. The first one is what Jesus has done. The second is to grasp what Jesus is still doing. And the third is what we are to do. So let's look at what Jesus has done. When we gave our lives to Christ, Jesus' righteousness paid the penalty for our sins. And he also changed the fundamental nature, our fundamental nature. He changed our inner being from sinner to saint. Ezekiel the prophet writes this from God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We are to live in this new nature, gifted by God, this new heart of flesh, this life in God's spirit, committed solely to him, loving Jesus and hating sin. The next point on how to be committed to Jesus is to understand what he is doing. If we're living moment by moment in Christ, he is transforming you into his image. Paul writes in Romans 12 that don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Jesus has given us a new heart, put his spirit within us, and he's working a transformation within us. We're becoming more like him. But also, we need to know what we are to do. In response to the initial transformation and then the ongoing work of Christ, we are to resist because of this freedom bought by Christ. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, because of Christ's initial work, transformative work, his ongoing transformation, we are able to resist temptation. We are able to hate sin and be committed to Jesus. Interestingly, though, just a little bit earlier in this letter, John writes this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John, un- John gets it. John gets that this side of heaven, we're not going to be perfect. And that is not what I'm preaching today. He knows we're going to stumble. So he reminds us that when we do, we repent and come back to Christ. So when we read in verse 6 that no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him, He's not saying that we are to be in some sort of sinless perfection. But rather, he says that we'll be owned by Christ and not owned by sin. We will love God and hate sin. Though we're going to slip up now and again, our hearts are committed to Jesus. Interestingly, at the end of verse 6, the word that John uses here for known is the same word that Mary, Jesus' mother, uses when speaking to the angel Gabriel. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says that you're going to have a child. And Mary says in the response, how shall this be, since I know not a man? The same word is what John used here for known. Mary used this word for sexual intimacy. But this word known is far more than just knowing about Jesus. John uses it because he wants us to recognize the immense strength and bond of what it means to know Jesus. This is a commitment. This is love and real life. Knowing Jesus is a deep intimacy. Knowing Jesus is spending time with him in prayer. Spending time as a community of believers. Spending time in the word and reading. It's being an example of him with friends and family. So it's from Jesus' transformative power and redemption that we are able to be committed to him and resist sin. And if we try and fight by willpower alone, we will fail. It must start and end with Jesus. But this does not mean that we're to sit back and let life happen. Living as a child of God requires action. When I first became a Christian, and you know the initial sort of honeymoon buzzes sort of worn off, I started to worry because I was saved by Jesus. I was washed clean and given a new heart and I was being transformed by him as I just read. But I started to worry. Though much less than before, I was facing temptation and I was giving in to I began to doubt what's going on. 
You see, living as a child of God starts and ends with God. Out of his great love alone are we saved. Out of his great love alone are we redeemed. And out of our loving response, we're to walk with him, to choose him. When temptations come, we have a choice. Living as a child of God requires action on our behalf. It requires us moment by moment deciding to choose Jesus and being obedient to him. Following Jesus is not one big decision. It's a thousand every single day. He writes in verse 7, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is righteous, who does right, is righteous, just as he is righteous. Living as a child of God requires doing. It requires action. This word righteous, John explains earlier in his letter, and Pastor um, Nick and Pastor Mark have explained it. But what John means by being righteous is having fellowship with God and walking in light, as he writes in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says it's knowing God and obeying his word. And a little bit later, he says it's being in the light and loving fellow believers. He's emphasizing here that there's a fundamental connection between knowing God and doing what is righteous. You cannot truly and intimately know God, follow him and love him without without living righteously. The two come hand in hand. And as I said earlier, John wrote this letter to correct some false teaching that was going around at that time, saying that you could know God, but you could live however you want. And actually, that kind of sounds like today. There's lots of people claiming to know God. There's not people living as his children. I want to ask you, is your knowing, intimate love of God evident in your workplace? Is it evident around your family and your friends? Is it evident on your street? Like I said earlier, If you understand that you're a child of God, it will change how you live. And this is all the same thing. If you know God intimately, it will change how you live. Because your actions testify your decision. And in verse 8, John gets real heavy. He says this, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He's saying here that there's no middle ground. There's no ignorant bliss. And the truth is, the lawyers will tell you, ignorance does not hold up in court. The righteous, testified by good works, belong to Christ. The unrighteous, testified by sin, belong to the devil. So I'm saying, if the righteousness of Christ is not your number one, then Satan exercises his rule. You're going to have to serve somebody. Your actions testify your decision. Now, I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. Any other Bob Dylan fans in the house? Just me. He became a Christian um, later on in his musical life, and he released quite a few albums um, from that. And one of the first was this album called Slow Train Coming. And the first song on that is a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And here are some of the lyrics. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You may own guns, you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord, you might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, in typical Bob Dylan fashion, he goes on for about another million verses describing lots of different people. But what he's saying here is the same as what John is saying. The one who does what is right is righteous. Just as he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
You're going to have to serve somebody, church. You're going to have to serve somebody. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no ignorant bliss. You're going to have to serve somebody. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Living as a child of God requires action. And your actions testify your decision. Finally, my final point is living as a child of God brings transformation. Now, I've already touched on this already, but let's just recap. John says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. And this means that sin no longer rules their life. Though we're not wholly free from sin, this side of heaven, our desire are now of things of God. As long as we walk this earth, we're not going to be exempt from the temptations of sin. We still have remnants of our old nature, as Paul talks about through Romans 6 and 7. But this is ongoing transformation. There's a process of sanctification that destroys sin. Those born of God live a righteous and holy life because of the Spirit of God is in them, restraining the lusting of sin. John writes in verse 9 that God's seed is in us. Again, Jesus has changed our nature. As well as paying the price for our sin, he has changed our fundamental nature. Our hearts are so ruled by the Holy Spirit that they cling to righteousness. For God is renewing our heart and our will. Therefore, John says, we cannot go on sinning. And this is how we know who the children of God are. They all live focused on what God says about them. They all live focused on where they are going. They all live committed to Jesus, resisting sin. They will choose righteousness and their actions will follow their words. And they will live with God, bringing transformation within them and with God bringing transformation through them. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we head into our last song. I want to invite you guys to stand with me, if you will. I want to invite you to stand. You know, these days, we too often sing songs that tell us that heaven is here or that we're in a place of eternal abundance and we're in some sort of utopian dispensation. Like I said, I've seen miracles happen and Jesus works and he answers prayers and I've seen healings. But the truth is we're in a post-Genesis chapter 3 world. There is cruelty, lies and evil. There is darkness. And if we're partying and celebrating that heaven's come, then we're actually just being naive because Christ has come. Christ has won the victory. And Christ will return with judgment for all those who believe him. But actually, like I said, we're still in this post Genesis chapter 3 world. And when we meet him in heaven, that is when all will be healed. That is when every tear will wipe from our eye. That is when pain and death will cease. But right now we're in the middle ground. And we mustn't pretend that we're not. The world isn't perfect and full of roses, but let's imagine. Imagine if we were living as children of God, living the true gospel filled with his Holy Spirit and living in obedience to him. Then we would see something. Then we would see transformation. I want you to invite you to close your eyes with me just for a second. I want you to imagine something. Imagine what it would look like if we left here today living as children of God. If you left here living, believing as a child of God living as John teaches here in this passage living here, living the gospel, the true gospel everyone here walking closely and intimately with Christ 
being true representatives of God on this earth. Imagine the transformation in Dudley, Aston, Sturchley, West Brom, Birmingham, England. If we grasped who God was, if we grasped what Christ has accomplished, and we grasped the power of the Holy Spirit within us, if we grasp that through his love, God has made us children of him. And if we grasp that, we'll see his kingdom come. Let's sing.